this morning we are kicking off a new sermon series called Living the Five. And in the sermon series, we are going to be looking at five principles for followers of Jesus. And as we get started together, I want to let you know I didn't, I didn't make these principles up. I didn't come up with them on my own. I actually learned them. They're biblical principles, but I learned them in the, the phrases from Jim and Jennifer Cowart, pastors of Harvest United Methodist Church down in Warner Robins, Georgia. And I was introduced to these principles a number of years ago, and I found that as I shared them with other people, they've been extremely helpful in their walks of faith. I found them helpful in my walk of faith, and my hope is as a church, as we explore these together and dive deeper over these next five weeks, that they will be helpful for you. Because we are living in what has been called the information age where there is so much information, there's so much instruction, there are so many podcasts, there's so much stuff that sometimes it can be hard to sort through what's really important, what do we really need to know, what, what truly matters for our lives. And I think these five principles help guide us. And we're also living in an age where over the last couple of years, a lot of us had plans and maybe we had a picture of the future, but due to the pandemic, economic situations, job situations, the, the plan that we kind of had laid out for us looks a little bit different. And I think these principles will help guide us in our daily lives and in our life with Jesus as well. So each week we're going to be looking at a different one. And this week we're going to look at the very first principle I want to share with you, a foundational principle for life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's this one, you can't do life alone. Okay, would you say that with me? You can't do life alone. And now if you're smart, you might be thinking, well, actually, you can do life alone, right? Maybe somebody's online watching on their couch, just kind of like arms crossed thinking, you know, you can. You actually can. Maybe, maybe you're doing life alone. Maybe you've done life alone. So, so I'll, I'll put it this way. You can do life alone, but you weren't created to do life alone. And I don't think you can thrive and be the person God created you to be if you're doing life all on your own. And this is a growing trend in our society, and I don't know if you've picked up on it, but more and more people are doing life apart from significant loving relationships with other people. More and more people in our world have fewer connections to those around them, and this is due to a number of big cultural factors. Uh, one, less people are engaged in religious communities. I mean, and there used to be a time where people connected to a church, a synagogue, or whatever, and there they, they found friendships. People are getting married later in life, having fewer kids, and so the, the family connections are looking a lot different these days. Workplaces, I mean, some of you worked at a business for like 20 years. Now, people aren't doing that as much anymore. They're switching jobs over and over again. And so work friends are looking very different and hours are longer. And so over time, people have become more and more disconnected from one another. And so it might not be surprising that in a study in 2021, 15% of men said they have zero close friends in their life. 15%. 10% of women said they have zero close friends. And maybe that's surprising, maybe it's not surprising, but I'm, I'm sure something that's not surprising for you is that in the pandemic, all of this has been exacerbated as we not only social distance from one another, but also as we kind of socially isolated from one another as well. 
Here's a chart with some stats. Uh, you don't have to like dive too deep into it, but if, if you look at this chart, this is the percentage of people who lost touch or remained in contact with friends over the past 12 months. This was done earlier this year. And if you look at the average, half of the people surveyed, this is 18 and up, said that they lost touch with either most of their friends or with a few of their friends during the pandemic. And I would say for younger generations, it's even more as school was online and as, as students lost the opportunity to connect with one another. We are living in an age where we are disconnecting more and more from those around us inside the church and outside of the church. And we're beginning to see the impacts of all of this. And I think one of the impacts I see the most lately is, and this isn't scientific, this is my observation, but I'm gonna do a poll here. I want you to raise your hand if you agree with this. It feels like people are angrier than they used to be. If you agree with that, people are angrier than they used to be, raise your hand. You don't have to agree, okay. Like people are angrier than they used to be. And I think one of the reasons people are angrier than they used to be is because now we're interacting with so many people through, through text or through online, through all these digital means that we feel like we're interacting with screens and we've forgotten that people are actually people. People are created in the image of God. And so it's easier to dehumanize people and treat them like garbage. So I think people are angry. I also think when we're doing life alone, we're, we're more vulnerable to negative things. I, I think we've seen this during the pandemic. A lot of us are more vulnerable to old patterns of, of addiction. We've, we've seen that on the rise. Patterns of sin in our lives, things that maybe we, we thought were good and when we're surrounded by other people, we're on the right track, but then when we're kind of doing stuff on our own, we fall back into those old rhythms, the old rhythms of negative thinking. I, I think a lot of people make worse decisions when they're living life on their own because nobody is there next to them to say, hey, that's a dumb decision. And so you make your decision on your own and, and you go do it. I, I think we're more susceptible to these negative things. And it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out. We have another chart here. The average share of adults reporting symptoms of anxiety and or depressive order. January to June 2019, 11%. January 2021, 41%. There are a lot of things going on in the last couple of years beyond disconnecting from others, but the research points to the fact that the more disconnected, the more we're doing life alone, the more our mental health suffers, the more our spiritual health suffers. Life is harder when we're doing it alone. And I'll just say this, life is less fun. Life is less fun. I know that because one time I went to a Disney park all alone. Do you know how sad that is? Do you know how sad that is? I was like, this is before, you know, great camera phones. So I, I didn't have the ability to take selfies or like check in and let everybody know. I was having so much fun. I was, I was at the like water park, going down all the water slides, nobody to share it with. It was, it was sad. Yeah, all sad me. Life isn't as fun when you're doing it alone. The highs aren't as high. And I would say the lows get lower when you're doing it on your own. And I came across an image recently that looks like my son drew it. But this is actually an image of, of six wolves that had GPS data trackers attached to them. And this is a satellite image of the path they took over a long period of time. 
And if you notice, they're all kind of doing their own thing in their own regions. They, they barely step into the region of another. This is how they're doing life. And I would say this is a picture of how a lot of us are living our lives. Adjacent to one another, next door to one another, but not really in relationship or community or care for one another. And I think this is a problem. I mean, I don't know a lot about wolves or like, you know, what they're supposed to do, how they're created to live. Maybe, maybe that's good for them. But I'll say this. I know for, for us as people, we weren't created to do life alone because each and every person in this room was created in the image of God. That means that we have God's likeness stamped deep inside of us. We were created in the image of God and a foundational truth for the Christian faith and people have spent their years trying to figure this out, but we worship one God who exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so our God exists in a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. And so we, as people created in God's image, we were created for a relationship as well, created for a relationship with him and created for a relationship with other people. We, did, we didn't plan this song, So Will I, connecting with the creation story, but, but I love that song, the beautiful picture it paints of God's creative power. And if you look back to Genesis, we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the sun, the moon, the stars. And as God is creating everything, God declares it what? God says it is good. The vegetables, good. The wolves, good. All sorts of things, good. Humanity, very good. But then if you look in Genesis chapter 2, it's interesting because we, we, we have this, this repetition in Genesis chapter 1. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Genesis chapter 2, God says something isn't good. Even before sin enters into the picture, God says, you know what? Something isn't good. And so in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, here's what we find. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. God looked down and he, he said, you know, people were created for relationships with one another. This isn't good. And so what did God do? God created Eve. And then there was a community. People were together. And ever since that time, God is in the business of creating communities and sustaining communities. And a friend a preacher friend I heard once put it this way. Whenever God has a goal, God creates a community. Whenever God has a goal, God creates a community. And so we look in the beginning. God wanted Adam and Eve to, to, to fill the earth, subdue it, rule over things. God created a community, the first family. When we, when we look at the story of Israel, when sin enters into the picture and God wants to do something about it, God wants to begin spreading salvation and light through the world, God calls a man named Abram. And he doesn't say, Abram, hey, go do, go do your thing. He says, I am going to make you the father of many people. You're going to be the father of a nation, a community, the nation of Israel. And then as Israel's story continues throughout the Old Testament, when we pick up in the New Testament, we see that in the fullness of time when God stepped into the story in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't show up on his own in the wilderness somewhere. He showed up in the midst of a community, a family, 
a religious community during those early years that helped guide him, that helped teach him. And then when Jesus began living out his public ministry, he didn't sit up on a mountain like some guru just by himself where people came and like got information from him like he's some fortune teller. What did he do? He created a community. He called 12 disciples to follow him, to walk with him, to learn from him. And so, so these guys, they, they came together, they laughed they cried. Jesus didn't make mistakes, but the disciples made a lot of mistakes along the way. They're messing up. They're learning. They're growing. And the disciples over time learned what it was like to be fully known and fully loved by Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about Jesus's death and his resurrection. And after he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And then if you remember what happens after that, we learn that after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended upon the earth. And what did the Holy Spirit do? Create a community, the church. All the faithful followers of Jesus Christ were gathered together. They weren't sent out to just do their own thing. They were gathered together in this community to continue the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, Um, I love this description we get of the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke writes that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the early church? And when I read that, I'm like, man, that's what I want things to be like to have this deep fellowship, this deep community. And I I know this is kind of an idealistic picture because we know from Paul's letters, it wasn't always this beautiful and put together. We know that the people had major theological fights. We know that they probably had fist fights. They probably fought over carpet color and wallpaper. They probably did all that stuff just like churches do today. We know that. We know that they were arguing with one another. They had their issues, but as they had their issues, they lived together in community centered on Jesus Christ. And as the early church continued, what we find is that the early church didn't grow because they had amazing worship leaders. The early church didn't grow because they had these great communicators who were doing multi-site preaching all over and like beautiful buildings with smoke machines and all this stuff or like Gothic cathedrals. No, the early church grew because people saw the fellowship these Christians had together. They saw their relationships and they said, I want that. Because they knew deep down they were created for that kind of community with God and with other people, and God drew others to himself through that community. And ever since that day, the Holy Spirit has continued to sustain the church, grow the church. The Holy Spirit still uses the church, draws people together in the church to help ordinary people like you and me achieve the goal that God desires for our lives. 
And if we look at Jesus' words, when Jesus says what the most important commandment is, he says it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's as we're in community with other people, it's as we're doing life together with the body of Christ that God helps us live out those goals. He shapes us into people who love like Jesus and who look more like Jesus. And so when, we, when we're doing life, not alone, but with other people in relationship, some things happen. I mean, one thing that happens is I think we're, we're comforted. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, I mean, we're gathering with all sorts of emotions today. Some people ran in here right at the last second. Some of you woke up and you're an early bird. You woke up at 5 a.m. Some of you have great challenges in your life right now. Some of you are, are living on cloud nine right now. But what happens when we come together and we're honest with one another, we're vulnerable, we open up our hearts and souls to one another is that, that we receive comfort. As we receive love from other people, we catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for us. And as we're comforted in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our tribulations, we become able to comfort other people and to better love other people. We're comforted in community. We're, we're also, I think, we're challenged in community. One of the reasons we, we gather with other people, one of the ways that God works is, is we're challenged because here's the thing, we all have a limited point of view. We don't know everything there is to know. And so when we're around other people and doing life with them, a lot of times they hold up a mirror to us. Sometimes we like what we see. And sometimes we don't like what we see. I'll never forget a few years ago, I might have told the story, but I, I was on the phone with my buddy Chase and I was talking about, I was having a relationship issue, something was going on and I was just saying, man, you know, I, I'm just terrible at this stuff. Like I'm terrible at friendships, relationships in the workplace. I'm terrible at all this. I said, every time, you know, I get close to people like something bad happens and he laughed and I was like, why are you laughing? And he said, because that's crazy. You're not bad at relationships. You're great at relationships. He said, you just can't see that. You're telling yourself a story that isn't true. And I realized he was right. I had been in this negative pattern of thinking. And he helped get me out of it. But then there's other times I've called Chase and I've been telling him. And he says, hey, you need to get off your high horse. You're being kind of prideful. You need to humble yourself, right? Friends relationships hold up a mirror to us and help us see those places where maybe our thinking isn't true or maybe where God wants to, to change us. We're challenged in community and, and ultimately I think God wants to change us in community. Through the body of Christ, he wants to use other people to help transform us. And I've asked you this before, but if you think about significant moments in your faith journey, Moments where, where you, you know, you professed faith in Christ, you gave your life to Christ, or where you just felt like there was a turning point in the road in your life, in your life of faith. My guess is a sermon doesn't come to mind. My guess is a person comes to mind, a relationship comes to mind, because some of the most significant work that God does in our lives is through other people. God sends other people into our lives to help change us, and God sends us into other people's lives to help change them. And so I think a better image than the GPS wolf picture 
to think about when it comes to our lives and how God wants us to live. I think a better image than that one would be this one. This image of sequoia trees. Anyone been here? They're beautiful. They're magnificent. They can grow over 250 feet tall, live over a thousand years. I mean, these are magnificent, magnificent trees. And, and maybe if you're like me, a lot of times you assume, okay, they're growing strong because they have deep, deep roots, right? But recently I learned that's not the case. A lot of these trees only have roots that are about four feet deep. The reason they're so strong and they're able to survive the storms and the droughts and everything else is because all of their roots spread out wide and intermingle with one another. They're deeply connected with one another. And it's because they're living together, because of their interconnectedness, that they're able to thrive. And that's how it is with us as well, God's children. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you today would be some of these words from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, we read this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's my encouragement to you. The challenge to you is, is to, to lean in, to love one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to good deeds, to don't forsake meeting together in, in worship and in so many other ways. And maybe simplified, I'll just say this. My challenge to you today as we think about this principle of how we can't do life alone is, is rather than take a step back from people like we've done in the last year, it would be in this next season to take a step towards somebody else. Take a step towards somebody else. And that might look different for different people. This morning, if you're watching online, maybe it's just telling us your name or sending us an email. Let, let us know who you are. It's, it's not being anonymous anymore. If you're in this room, maybe, maybe it's just inviting someone to coffee, someone you haven't caught up with in a long time and just reaching out to them and saying, I wanna catch up. Maybe it's, it's looking around and thinking about somebody you haven't seen on Sunday morning and sending them a text, giving them a call and say, hey, I miss you, I haven't seen you. How are you? Maybe it looks like saying, you know what? We want our church family to be a priority. We're gonna commit to Sunday morning worship. Maybe it's getting together a, a Zoom meeting. Even if you hate Zoom, if you're like me, you're Zoomed out. Maybe it's saying, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some friends, some family members who live far away or who live nearby. We're gonna get together and we're gonna fellowship together any way we can. Take a step towards other people. And in the weeks ahead, we're gonna be talking more about small group opportunities we have here coming up that we're starting new groups so that we can make new connections together so that, so that we can gather in, in smaller groups, eight to 15 people and fellowship. We can study, we can support one another. We can grow together because when we connect relationally with other people in the body of Christ, we also grow spiritually. And God wants each of us to grow more and more like him and it's through other people 
that that begins to happen. And I know that for so many of us, we want to kind of wait for other people to reach out to us. And that would be great if people did. But my encouragement today isn't, isn't to wait for somebody to reach out to you. It's for you to take the first step. For you to live like Jesus. Because if you think about Jesus, Jesus, sometimes we talk about, oh, I found Jesus. We didn't find Jesus. Jesus found us. Jesus took the steps toward us. Jesus sought us out when we were sinners in need of salvation. Jesus came, he found us, and Jesus calls us his friends. He took the first step. And I would encourage you to take that first step as well. Lean in to relationships. Reach out to someone. It it can be scary, it can be vulnerable. Maybe they never respond back to you. But you never know the impact you might have in somebody's life. You never know. You never know how something so small can do something so big. And so in closing this morning, I wanna, I'm gonna share with you a video uh, that we filmed earlier this week with Deanne Harmon. Many of you know her. She's been a part of our church since the early 2000s. And she came to our church as kind of an assistant American Sign Language interpreter for some students on Wednesday nights here and there. And soon after she got to the church, uh, she got some surprising news. And I'm going to let her tell you how things played out from there. Um, A few months into that, maybe four or five months of me coming on Wednesdays and helping out with uh, this student, uh, my husband and I discovered we were pregnant. And... um, (laughs) This pregnancy was a little different than my first two um, because it was 10 years since my last baby uh, for me to get pregnant with this one. And to say I was shocked is an understatement. Um, I was going through a lot of um, discussions in my head as to how I'm going to start all over again. We were in the process of planning to raise teenagers and here we are starting all over over again with a baby we had sold all our stuff in a yard sale all the furniture and the toys and the everything that you have as a child grows up in your home and all that stuff was gone I didn't have anything in fact for months I didn't tell anybody that I was pregnant Um, I couldn't hardly get the words out of my mouth it was just a traumatic kind of thing Well, the interpreter and I were really good friends, and she um, supported me along the way. She herself had four little ones herself, and so she she was my confidant. And uh, she had let some of the ladies at the church know um, that I was in this situation. Here I was approaching 40 years old. I think I was 40 at the time. And um, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any baby things. I didn't have any maternity clothes. I had nothing. And so I came to church one Sunday, and they told me to stay afterwards, um, that some of the ladies had something to give me. And so um, one of the ladies in particular gave me a whole bag full of maternity clothes that was just so meaningful to me at the time because I was 
not able to wear my clothes anymore and um, I was wondering what I was going to do. And I was kind of in this rebellious mental state that number one, I couldn't fathom the fact I was gonna actually have another child. But the idea of having to go into a store and buying clothes for myself that I'm only gonna use for a certain period of time, it just was beyond my way of thinking. Very different than the first couple of pregnancies, all excited to go buy new clothes and things like that. It was very different this time. But um, these ladies were so sweet and um, gave all these clothes to me. In a church, I wasn't even a member here. I worked as a substitute interpreter on Sundays uh, when the interpreter that was here regularly couldn't be here. Um, And I worked on Wednesdays with the youth. I wasn't really involved that much other than that. And for the members of this church to reach out to me at a state that I was in and meet me right where I was at was powerful. It was really powerful. Feeling the love of these young, these people here at this church um, surrounding me with the love of the Lord just really empowered me to see my pregnancy not as a barrier but as a blessing. And, um, and as you know, Elisa is incredible blessing. <laughs> and so it's so important for each of us when we um, are interacting with people, know that everybody has a story. Everybody is facing something. And if there's anything that any of us can do to add a piece of encouragement or prayer or support or just being real, just being there um, means so much to each person and you just never know how God might use you to help someone else.